Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, pest control, growing your own fruit and vegetables, garden design and ideas for containers and small spaces. Plus expert gardening advice throughout the year. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, RHS advisors answer your seasonal gardening questions. Scientists reveal the results of a four-year RHS project into the best plants to encourage beneficial insects into your garden. Our entomology team launch a survey to track the spread of a new pest problem that most gardeners would prefer to keep out of their plots. And, as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, let's hear about some of the jobs you can be tackling in your garden this month. My name is Matthew Pottage and I'm the Deputy Curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. So, so what to do now? So what are we busy with in the garden? Well, we're chasing our tails with hedge cutting, so finishing off any hedge cutting or clipping of topiary or shaping of shrubs that you want to do. Now is a great time to get a last clip in if there's been any regrowth since your earlier trims. Some people hold off right till August and try and do one trim. If you did a slightly earlier trim of, say, some of your hedges or or shaped shrubs, you may have a bit of regrowth. So you can get any of those into check. It's now that brilliant time of year when we've got some warmth in the soil and some moisture finally. So any tree planting, shrub planting, I love this time of year for planting, splitting and dividing because you still will have a bit of warmth and still a decent enough light level for things just to settle back in. I also enjoy doing a lot of division this time of year. So herbaceous plants, hostas, even peonies where you can see very clearly where you've got a stem, you've got a growing tip, you've got next year's bud just starting to show and I really favour this time. We're doing a lot of hosta division on Battleston Hill and literally picking apart those huge old clumps, spacing them out. It's plants for free, it's very satisfying so do get on with that. And also if you're looking to do any winter displays, autumn displays, if it's bedding or if it's just showy plants for autumn interest, winter interest, now is the time to be getting those in. It's really not great practice to be shoving things into frozen ground, freezing soil. So if you can get ahead of the game now, even though it can be hard to rip out bedding or half-harders if they're still looking good, now is the time to get them out, get something in the soil while it's warm, moist, and things will establish much more successfully for you. Because the end of the year has been quite kind to us and we've still had some decent temperatures and light levels, one real hideous thing that we're always battling with at Wisley is our bindweed. And there is still quite a bit of green leaf on that. And it's a good time of year to be hitting that with another spray of glyphosate, of weed killer, if you're not managing it organically, because that is now starting to go to sleep and you're going to get quite a good hit on that, taking the chemical effectively back to the root system. So if you had a few sprays maybe on bindweed areas, if you've got any regrowth there, or if you know you've got it and it's still quite visible, and you can unpick it, wind it off the plant, pile it up into a heap, Give it a good spray. It's very, very effective this time of year. I am Markus Ratscheid. I'm one of the garden managers here at the flagship garden of the Royal Horticulture Society based at Wisley. We are now coming to the end of a very busy summer period. It's a time to harvest and really to enjoy the fruits of your labor. And uh, go to your vegetable garden, pick, harvest, and making sure that your logistics are all in place when all your produce has been taken into the kitchen.
Because it's no good having the best vegetable gardens. You have to have the process taking place in your kitchen where your vegetables are being processed, pickled, harvested, put into jars and then stored for the dull winter month. However, there's still work that needs to be carried out in your vegetable garden. What's about planting spinaches? That's the best time of the year to get your mildew-resistant spinaches into ground. Have a look at the RHS website and choose cultivars that are mildew-resistant. They should be planted from um, September, October, maybe until mid of November in mild climatic areas. Plant them at a distance of 30 centimeters apart, each row, and then within the row you need to thin them according to the description on the package. Also, it's a time of the year to get other lettuces and other cabbages into the ground. Endives, a winter form of lettuces, should be planted now. And you can enjoy the fruit of your labor in November, December, and some of it even in January. You can find more information about plants and all aspects of gardening techniques on the advice pages of the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. As a member of the RHS, you can get free advice on any gardening problem from the team by phone, post or email or in person at any one of the RHS flower shows. Every month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, members of the RHS Gardening Advice Team join us to answer some of the questions they've received recently. I'm Lee Hunt, I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. I'm Guy Barter, I work here in Wisley for the Horticultural and Gardening Advisory Service. We've got an email here from S. Banner who says... Uh, that they found small circular holes have appeared in the leaves of my roses. What could be causing this? I suspect it is not, as my five-year-old daughter suggests, fairies with hole punches. <laughs> Which I love. I love that. It could be, I suppose. It could be. The leafcutter bees, these are absolutely amazing insects that cut extraordinarily symmetrical uh, semicircular holes around the edges of the leaves. And at this time of year, you can actually watch the bees coming along, soaring out a, a little piece of leaf and then flying off where they use to use it to, to line and make their nests where they raise their young. And although it looks um, as though the plant's taking quite a, a punishment, it doesn't actually matter too much in the great order of things. Roses can put up with uh, leaf cutting bees and uh, they're exceptionally good for the environment. These kind of bees are much more important pollinators than, uh, than people generally think so it's a really good sign that biodiversity is good in your garden by the way um, if you think there are fairies in your garden be very careful about fly paper because they can easily get caught one of the the other things that might be causing it um, is something called the slugworm and it does look like a, a sort of slimy slug but you don't get the little antennae coming up that you do on slugs and they're usually much smaller um, when they feed on the leaves they tend to graze the surface and then you get all these um afterwards yes you sort of holy but you also get like a skeleton left behind where uh, you get whiteness on the, the surface and it's quite pitted um and 
this unfortunately often what happens i find is that it sort of happens quite quickly when you're not looking and then you come back and there's quite a lot of damage so it can appear to happen overnight but it's probably just been when we're not looking uh, you can just pick them off if you see them early enough but if you've had it already happen don't worry too much the, the plant's usually fine it's just sort of make sure that it it's going to regrow, it's wanting to flower, it's going to throw out new shoots. So just support that by, if it's dry watering, and perhaps a bit of fertiliser as well. Yeah, this this time of year, you do sometimes come out one day and look at your roses, and they look a shadow of their former selves. So it's a lot more extreme, actually, than, than what is being described uh, from our correspondent. Um, the foliage can literally be cleared and you're left with skeletons. And you may well find that there are some little caterpillars, which are sawfly um, caterpillars, which are still in the process of clearing your plant of leaves. And they'll be sort of hanging off the leaves and chomping their way through them. Apart from picking them off uh, or, or using a contact insecticide based on fatty acids, or soaps those are the main ways of getting rid of that particular pest but quite quite devastating and very very quickly as well Anna Windsor asks by email about her hanging baskets she says I've tried hanging baskets this year for the first time they looked great but quickly dried out and became scorched is there any way of making them hold water better through absorbent plants or basket linings perhaps Jenny a few things here when you plant up hanging baskets um, especially if you start with little plugs it's easy to get very enthusiastic and possibly overplant. Um, there's a happy balance to be struck of course because you don't want your baskets to look sparse so it's always nice to um, plant the sides up uh, um, um, quite quite thoroughly as well as the top because you don't want to be looking at the sides of the basket. The other thing is the actual lining that things are, are made out of. I tend to just use something like bin liners or old compost bags and cut holes through those to plant through and but I line with moss first so obviously you can't see them and that seems to work quite well with a combination of of not overplanting you can also incorporate uh, water retaining granules into your mix which can be very very effective and it's a good idea to I, I find to mix the water with the water retaining granules first and then mix it into the compost and then you don't get the whole thing overflowing with the mix of uh, water retaining granules and compost if you if you got it a bit wrong so you get get the measure of it and then you fill your fill your um, container with the mixture uh, so those are a couple of things you can do. I think the other thing is it will reach that point where it just needs a lot of water as mm. well because the plants will grow and grow and they will almost reach that point where they're growing to capacity based on the amount of resources available. It's about now as well, isn't it, when yes. they start to show signs of stress? It is, and it's often when you're off on holiday yeah. as well and you're trying <laughs> to give them to a neighbour to look after. But you're going to have to check them most evenings and give them a really good drink and make sure that the water really penetrates well so often you have to put quite a lot in and really let them drip um, to ensure that it has wetted properly once again um, once you start to get even later they can need twice a day to keep them going and that, so there is no real sort of shortcut because they're entirely reliant on you to to do well so either slim down the number of plants or um, be aware that you're going to have to do that bit of extra work. I think um, the science suggests that uh, the water-retaining granules are not that great um, in some circumstances, but what is particularly useful is uh, 
the really fine grade compost and potting media that's made for hanging baskets is very fine particles and it retains a lot of water so it's always worth choosing the um the material that's made for this purpose uh, the other thing is the bigger the hanging basket the more resilient it is so in as far as you can try and avoid the smaller hanging baskets and go for big ones they're easier to manage some plants are much uh, much tougher and more resilient in terms of water loss like uh, geraniums properly called pelagoniums for example and uh, finally at this time of year um, they tend to run out of steam whatever you do and then it's worth uh, taking the scissors to them cutting them back giving them a good feed and seeing if they'll come back and give you a, a display in September. So Mrs M Prop has written in by email and uh, is interested in views on weed control. What are the alternatives to using weed killer to get rid of weeds? My garden seems to have exploded in unwanted greenery this summer. It's quite topical to to be asking about weed control not only because the weeds are growing very enthusiastically at the moment but because there's quite a lot of debate about weed killers and more and more chemicals are being taken off the market and we're always looking to alternatives and it's always best to look at the alternatives before using chemicals anyway at this time of year hoeing is a very good idea to just keep on top of it all but i know what it's like when you come back from a holiday and you just cannot believe how quickly things have grown in one week so yes getting them before they seed is the main thing um and continually hoeing there are alternatives for example if you've got weeds coming up in the drive and on paving uh, you can use flame guns that's that's one of the methods that uh, we, we've been using here at Wisley. I think that works really well for things like annual weeds that pop up. So yeah, chickweed uh, being a sort of prime example of that sort of thing. Um, of course, the other thing that we get asked a lot about are more woody weeds. And things like brambles at this time of year, uh, even if you did apply a weed killer, you're still going to be left with this um, woody skeleton if it was killed. So often it's just easier to get in with a, a small border spade of lift up the shrub because for some reason they're always in between everything else and then chop at the ground level because they're not very deeply rooted but if you get out that basal woody bit where all the shoots come from uh, usually they'll then lift out quite easily. But I wouldn't really want to lift out my brambles at this time of year. You might need a thick pair of gloves. No, no, just because they're covered in blackberries. Okay, well yes. It's the only time they're actually (laughs) useful. (laughs) Once you've had the blackberries if you um, can do that but of course you can do that at any any time of year but I think there's still that difficult group of weeds aren't they there's those ones which we know are particularly persistent things like horsetail bindweed what would you do with those guy because those are tricky to actually make an impression on in any decent um, period of time well no weed can last without leaves so if you can cut a uh, weed off from the light uh, so very much the better so sometimes it's possible say horsetails and borders is to plant through a a black uh, landscape fabric and then you've only got to weed round the base of the plants and if you keep doing that you can reduce them to an acceptable level eradicating weeds is an old-fashioned concept that um, is not really practical you have to manage them and so that involves exploiting their life cycle so something like horsetail uh, cannot survive long um, if it's cut or severely um, held back so in really bad areas you might want to 
Is there, well, you might not want to, but it's feasible to sow a lawn, mow it for five years and then make another border, or three years is often enough. So you have to kind of think of ways around. The most difficult area, I think, with weed control um, is paths and hard surfaces, gravel surfaces. Unlike farmers, gardeners have very few weed killers they can use amongst crops. But uh, those hard landscape areas are very difficult to control without weed killers. And so sometimes you have to think about going back to the beginning and redoing areas, um, perhaps bit by bit, and relaying paving and gravel over weedproof membranes, geotextiles, really strong ones, uh, to kind of to, to reduce and replace the weed seed infested gravel uh, with fresh gravel, maybe um, without with fewer fines, so there's nowhere for for weeds to to find a root. And I think that is uh, that's well worth considering for a weed killer free future. Uh, one final tip sort of comes from um, our soil scientists when they looked at compost. If you make your own compost, do put a cover over the top because they found a lot of the weeds just literally the seed blew in and that outer layer was therefore going to add to your problem, not um, improve, just improve the soil. So put a cover over as well. The RHS advice team. As well as free gardening advice, RHS members also get free entry to all four RHS gardens, the opportunity to buy discounted and priority tickets to RHS events and flower shows, and much more, including, of course, an extra gardening podcast every month, available on the RHS website. If you're not already a member, why not find out more about its benefits? Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. August saw the publication of the first results of a four-year scientific study into the effectiveness of different plants in attracting beneficial insects into gardens. This new research from the Royal Horticultural Society, with support from the Wildlife Gardening Forum, has reached some surprising conclusions as to what types of plants are most attractive to pollinators. Hello there, it's uh, Andy Salisbury here, Principal Entomologist at RHS Garden Wisley. We're here in the Entomology Lab and today I'm going to talk about an experiment we've been running for the past uh, four or five years called Plants for Bugs. This experiment is a field experiment and what we were looking at is really, is it natives that are best for wildlife in the garden? The experiment consisted of three different uh, treatments or three different plot types. So we had um, plants that are native to the UK, uh, pl uh, plants that were we called near-native, basically found in the northern hemisphere, places such as Europe, um, uh, Russia, no uh, North America, which are closely related to native plants but not found here naturally. And the third different type of bed or treatment were what we termed exotic plants. Plants from the southern hemisphere, places such as South America, Australia, uh, South Africa. And these plots or beds were planted up to look a bit like a garden border. And for four years we recorded the insects on them. And very recently we launched... Uh, released the first findings from this experiment as a scientific paper and this was looking at the fly insect visitors to flowers the pollinators the bees the butterflies also the beetles that visit flowers and things like the hoverflies and other flies that visited the flowers and the results showed that yes we did get more pollinating insects on the native plants and what we termed the near natives but we found that exotic plants tended to flower a bit later and extended the season so we did see more pollinators uh, on the uh, exotic beds later in the season 
which leads us to the conclusions. Basically, first of all, if you want uh, pollinators in your garden and lots of them, plant lots of flowers. And don't worry too much about where those plants have come from. You don't necessarily need to stick to native plants to get lots of pollinators. And probably the best advice is plant a, a very wide range of plants with a long flowering season from around the world. You can find out more information about the RHS's Plants for Bug study on the RHS website. Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash plants for bugs. Alternatively, visit rhs.org.uk forward slash science for details about other projects the science department is currently working on. One such project is a survey that the entomology department has just launched into the spread of an emerging pest, the Agapanthus gall midge. In some parts of the UK, Agapanthus are being attacked by this midge, which can cause deformity and discoloration of the flower buds of the plant. In severe cases, this causes the failure of the buds of these beautiful blue-flowered perennials to open. The severity of the effects of this gormage can range from a couple of buds failing to the collapse of the entire flower head. The RHS first identified this pest in Surrey in 2014 and we're now calling for gardeners to help us join forces with DEFRA and international experts to gather plant samples to help identify how far the Agapanthus gormage has spread and also to measure the severity of the problem. RHS entomologist Dr Hayley Jones spoke to us about the study. There's a new pest affecting agapanthus plants. Um, it was noticed for the first time last year. Uh, a sample was brought in to entomologists through the gardening advice service uh, at the RHS. And uh, when our principal entomologist Andy looked at it, he realised that it's something that he'd never seen before. And he thought that actually it might be something that's never been seen before in the UK. Uh, when he went out into the garden at Wisley, he saw that actually it was already affecting lots of the agapanthus plants that we have here. And further investigations found that actually it's probably been here for a few years. We then went on to try and find out what the origin of this pest was. And it turns out that it's a gall midge, which is a type of fly that it lays its eggs um, on the agapanthus flowers and the larvae crawl inside. They feed inside the flower buds and cause the flowers to become galled so that the flowers can't open and it disrupts the way they look. They become deformed and discoloured rather than turning into nice flowers. And this actually has not just not been found in the UK before, but it's actually new to science. No one has ever described the pest before. There's some records of it occurring in South Africa, but no one's ever taken the time to describe the species and give it a name. So this is quite an ex exciting project um, as an entomologist to be able to work on this new species that we hardly know anything about. But it does mean that at the moment there's very little advice we can give to gardeners because so little is understood about the life cycle of the pest. First of all, we've put out a call to all gardeners to look at their agapanthus plants and see if they've got any symptoms of the midge. There's lots of photographs of the symptoms on the RHS website. Um, and then if they have, to send us a photograph or a sample so that we can establish how widespread the midge is in the UK. We've already got quite a few reports from eight counties across the UK, so there's indication that it could be very widespread. Um, but at the moment, we've only got about 10 records. So it's really trying to fill in the gaps and see if it is as widespread as we've got this first indication. 
And then the next step is to find out more about the ecology and the life cycle and to do some experiments on control so that we can actually give people advice on what to do if the agapanthus is being affected by this midge. Uh, so I am hoping to um, set up some experimental work for next year to find out exactly what time of year the midge is um, laying its eggs um, and to find out how we might be able to control it. The most likely methods are going to be carefully timed spray applications of pesticides targeting when the midges are actually laying their eggs and also we're looking for biological control so I'm rearing midges and seeing if they have any parasitoids um, to see if we could use this kind of more natural form of control on the midges as well. There's more information can be found online if you search for RHS Agapantha school midge you should be able to find the profile page with information for gardeners and the project page which outlines what we're planning to do and everyone who's working with us um, to help do it and there there's instructions on how you can send photographs or samples of your agapanthus if you think that it might have been affected by this midge. RHS entomologist Dr Hayley Jones. So that's nearly all for this RHS gardening podcast. There's just time for details of some of the exciting RHS events and attractions coming up in the next few weeks. Ever wondered what that apple or pear tree is in your garden? Then come to RHS Garden Rosemore on Tuesday 15th of September for our fruit naming day. Join renowned RHS fruit expert Jim Arbery in the plant centre. Bring along at least three examples of each fruit with stalks and leaves and Jim will try to identify it for you. If you've been working up a thirst in your garden, why not join us at RHS Garden Harlow Car the Harlow Car Real Ale and Cider Weekend. Find your favourite brew, indulge in street food and be entertained between midday and 8pm on Saturday and Sunday the 19th and 20th of September. Come and feel the heat at RHS Garden Hyde Hall's Chilli Pepper Weekend on the 26th to the 27th of September. Our RHS gardening team will have an amazing display of chilies. There'll be talks and demonstrations, as well as a number of exhibitors selling all things chilli. Why not come to RHS Garden Wisley on the weekend of the 26th to the 27th of September? On the Saturday, the garden will be open early at 7.30am, so keen photographers can capture the beautiful early morning light. There will also be birds of prey on display on both Saturday and Sunday, as well as a Heather Society Day on the 27th. Full details of all events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens what's on. So that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden and all the RHS Gardening podcast team, goodbye. Goodbye.